In the summer of 1916, as the French and Germans were getting it on at Verdun, the British were getting ready for a massive offensive attack they were certain would turn the tides and win the Great War for the Entente forces. Now, if you're a long-time listener, you'll know we're going to be talking about World War I throughout this entire year, and since it's only June, you can probably tell that this battle wouldn't win the war. But a lot will be accomplished here, such as the development of new weapons and tactics. Oh, and a whole shit ton of people would die while their generals try to figure out what the hell they were doing. So, settle in, grab a drink, and enjoy the death fest that is this episode of 100 Proof History, known as the Battle of the Somme. Everybody wants some! I want some too! Ah, yeah! This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Right, boys, this is it. The final push into no man's land to crush the Jerrys and send them back to Krautel. We're the next wave after this artillery barrage. But, Lieutenant, every wave before us has been decimated. You can hear them out there dying. Private Wolf Dick, stop with your whinging and bugger off into no man's land. I'll be forced to shoot you if you don't go over that bloody wall. But, Lieutenant... Do not make me do that. I have a family, and you know Audrey's waiting for me back in Yorkshire. Oh yeah, and your friend Peter, too. Shut, shut the fuck up, Hambone. Private Wolf Dick. <laughs> What the hell are you doing? Nothing, sir. Show me what's in your heart. Lieutenant, I'm ready to go over the wall now. (laughs) You will wait for my command. Now come here and pull that hand out of your pocket. Bollocks. Please don't judge me. Howdy, Lieutenant. You look like you were made from fine stock. Now let's see that hog of yours. (laughs) What the fuck are you doing? It isn't me, Lieutenant, I swear it. Hambone lives inside of my hand. Ever since I've been able to remember, Hambone has been a part of my body. But he's not me. The horrors of Shellshock have finally come home to roost. Right then, over the wall with you. been hit, Wolf Dick! Wolf Dick? Hambone, I can't move. Here, Wolf Dick, let me grab your hog and you tell me if you feel anything. <laughs> oh no, I'm paralyzed from the middle finger down. Seems I lost one of my googly eyes too. Oh god, they got your throat! Can you speak, Wolf Dick? <laughs> You can't move or speak. All for this pointless battle over a useless piece of land in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Wolf Dick, I must take leave of you now. I'll find a new host in a different land at a different time. But I want you to know I'll always remember you. No one forgets there first. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll meet again. Goodbye. Welcome into 100 Proof History, everyone. (laughs) 
I'm your main host, Greg. Mm. And I am your sexiest co-host, Christopher. And I'm just delighted to be here today, Greg. Yeah, I don't think uh, Wolf Dick is too pleased about me revealing his origin story. Are you, Wolf Dick? Thank you for bringing up such terrible memories. I will never forgive you. Okay, have another, buddy. He's a little drunk. <laughs> I had no idea he's even did, British. I did the customary, uh, I put the, the whiskey in a little hamster water feeder thing, and he just sucks on it because he is paralyzed due to this battle. Oh, I did not know that. This is mm-hmm. new and interesting information. Every week we have something new that no one expected to hear. Yeah. I'm yeah. just so glad to be a part of this. Thank you to our loyal listeners for tuning in yet again, and to any new listeners, well, you're no longer here at this point after hearing that. <laughs> nope, so. they, they are strapped in. They want to hear more of this. Like, oh my god. <laughs> that was going to be another boring history podcast, but here we are talking about a, a disembodied ghost hand that can jerk people off, but was paralyzed from the middle finger down? That's crazy. It's crazy. Well, that's why he had to leave Wolf Dick I as got his you. host. Okay. Find a new hand with two intact <laughs> googly eyes, five fingers that are dexterous and move freely, unarthritic. Right. Right. Oh, man. That was good times. It makes sense, Chris, okay? <laughs> it does. It 100% makes sense. It does. Oh, well, listener, once again, we're diving into the waters of World War I, the Battle of the Somme. Uh, if you haven't been listening for a while, we've been talking throughout 2021 about World War I. Uh, let me just give these a quick rundown. We talked about the Franz Ferdinand assassination. We kicked the whole thing off in episode 66. The very next week in 67, we talked about the Battle of Marne. Then jumped to episode 71. We talked about the failed British offensive at the Battle of Gallipoli. And then, at 78, episode 78, we had the Battle of Verdun, which was a meat grinder, hellish landscape. And, of course, there are some things on the Patreon, if you can find at HunterProofHistory.com, that go back into World War I, such as an episode on T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, and we have a few hangover mini-episodes focusing on various World War I events and heroes. So, check it out. Way to sell it, baby. Way to sell it. I worked all week on that in the shower, drive to work. I'm like, I just want to make Daddy Greg proud. I just want to yeah. make, a, oh. make Daddy Greg a few bucks. I like it. It's all downhill from here. Um, that's the best I can do. That's the only thing I worked on this week. So, <laughs> said it in the mirror a hundred times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Slapped myself when I got it wrong. <laughs> uh, one other thing I would like to tell the people if you don't follow us on Instagram, I understand. Not everybody gets on the social medias, but if you find us on YouTube, Hunter Proof History, we have all the clips we're putting on Instagram, little short clips of us acting like idiots on video. And also, this week, you can check out a special lengthy-ish video, longer than the clips, of me talking about the sinking of the RMS Lusitania. So go check that out. Uh, give us a few hits and likes and subscribes and all that shit that the kids talk about and then uh you know maybe you'll learn something maybe you won't maybe you have a good time i don't know check it out either way and greg i have just one more thing of business uh oh god i know i know we have picked up some more patreon subscribers and every time you join patreon you get the opportunity to give us a message you want to put out there uh alan said love the show guys keep up the good work and our most latest subscriber, Billy, said Greg's Napoleon sounded very Germanic, which is weird because I don't remember you doing 
a uh, Napoleon impersonation. I know you, we had those audio files of Napoleon speaking. Yeah, that was just how he sounded. Yeah, I don't understand what he's talking about. But uh, Billy, thanks for your $3 anyways. We appreciate it. Billy, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> but thank you for your $3. Don't let it happen again. Our source today, we'd be remiss not to reveal, is The Psalm by Peter Hart. What do you think about the book, Chris? Uh, I enjoyed it. We talked about this on the Verdun episode where I had to read like three or four books. This is the first book I've read that gave me a good picture of the tactical advances and also just littered full of personal stories. Mm-hmm. It's mostly that. Yeah, and there there are times where I'm like, okay, all right, I get it. Let's move on. Let's move on because it'd be... On this front, this happened. On this front, the same exact thing happened. And then there'd be quotes set up with, we were working very hard. And the quote is, dearest mother, I've been working very hard, end quote. And you're like, okay, you proved your point. <laughs> like, I'm not making it up. Guys, look, look, he said it. I didn't make it up. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a good book. I highly recommend it, especially, we're going to spend some time here. We're going to spend an hour-ish talking about the Battle of the Somme. And there's so much stuff we had to leave out just because this book's so in-depth and there's so many stories just, just we're not going to be able to tell. So I highly recommend the book. Well, you ready to get into it? I, I guess. Fine. Just, whatever. I've already done my part. I'm just going to stumble through the rest of it. But let's go. Three, two, one, go. When World War I broke out, the European power that was probably the most ill-equipped to fight a massive continental land war was Britain. The Brits were predominantly a naval superpower, and they had just a itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka-dot bikini army of around 160,000 men. Now, you know, that may sound like a lot of humans, uh, but keep in mind, by the end of 1914, their entente buddies the French had suffered 955,000 casualties, and the war had started in fucking August of that same year. Now, the Brits tossed a few divisions across the English Channel to help out the French during the Battle of the Marne, and in 1915, they began sending more and more men to fight in Belgium and France, but it didn't go very well. A defeat at Loose Belgium resulted in the firing of the leader of the British Army, General Sir John French's Mustard. He was replaced by a man who would eventually show his own incompetence, General Sir Douglas Haig. It's mustard, I don't know, I got nothing there. So, the first general was Sir John French, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case that was <laughs> unclear. Some guy studying for his World War exams, like, John French's mustard. Oh, that's where it comes from. Okay. Now, Haig was an old school general fighting a new form of warfare, and it was going to prove costly in 1916. He believed the power of the fighting spirit could overcome inferiority in numbers, weapons, and training. Just got to want it more, fellas. Just gotta have that desire. Yeah. Go to Siberia and train. Do all those sit-ups off the rafters of a barn. <laughs> Full hearts, clear eyes, can't lose. My high school team mm. could beat the shit out of the Dallas Cowboys and just go up there and get fucking slaughtered. Really, you just gotta win their hearts and minds, fellas. That's true. <laughs> and then we can hang the banners. You know, if only the Air Force had been more developed, they could have dropped some Pop-Tarts on the Germans. End of the war. It's over. We got them. Did they actually drop Pop-Tarts? Yeah. You don't remember that? We dropped no. Pop-Tarts pop and messages of peace to all the people of Iraq. And 18 years later, we're still there, fellas. I yeah. was in the Air Force at that time, but I, I had no fucking idea that's a real thing. Yes. God. 
Peace in the Middle East. All because of brown sugar Pop-Tarts. Oh, and it was those? Oh, they're the worst ones. They're the worst ones. By the way, they've changed the recipe of Pop-Tarts, and they're not as good. I'm not going to put that oh, out really? there. I'm just going to say that they're like softer. There's not as much filling. They've done something to them. I'm not an old man shouting at clouds. This has happened, and people need to know about it. <laughs> We're going to fucking blow the top off this Pop-Tart <laughs> yeah. conspiracy. In the next 40 episodes, that's all we're going to fucking talk about. Just <laughs> Look, I measured this one, and it's an eighth of an inch smaller in <laughs> square area <laughs> from the past Pop-Tarts. Why are you looking at me like I'm crazy, Dad? <laughs> I will not be going back to that hospital. <laughs> I'm not crazy. It's the Pop-Tart people have gotten to you. They got to Everyone you, I know it. fucking else is crazy, okay? <laughs> Writing a letter to the president. Dear President Biden, have you seen the fucking Pop-Tarts lately? <laughs> I will blow up the goddamn White House if you don't take care of... Why am I going to jail? What? What did I do? <laughs> oh, I see whose side you're on, you piece of shit, Joe Biden. Mm, see, big pastry got to you, too. <laughs> yeah. Bought and paid for fucking president. What's new? <laughs> and he just slowly takes a bite out of an uncooked strawberry Pop-Tart, like chrome stripping oh. down his suit. <sighs> when they're uncooked, you can really only eat the middle of them. Yeah, that cr that edge tastes like fucking cardboard. desert sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That edge is a reminder that humanity is suffering. Like, to live is to suffer. Like, oh, there's mm. so much good here, but look at this. Look what I got to get through to get to the good. The only two edges worse than that mm -hmm. are the edge of the razor blade that a teen has committed suicide with. Please mm -hmm. get help. You don't need to do that. And also the one in you too. <laughs> Which one's worse? Who knows? Who knows? But those are worse than the edge of a Pop-Tart. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> I like how they've already committed suicide and you're like, get help. I'm a hero. I did. No, it's, I'm speaking of, of the dead, and I'm using oh, them okay. as instruments to I convince. Gotcha. Yeah, dead instruments to convince the alive populace. That's 90% of our audience. We need them to be alive. Please stay alive for the next three years before the next generation takes your place. Then you can fucking die. I don't care. Just you know, <laughs> make it to 17. Just get that checking account. Make sure it allows automatic deposits into Patreon, and <laughs> we're good, baby. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> well, anyway, Douglas Haig also had a basic theory for winning on the Western Front, and that was you had to wear the enemy down and force them to use their reserves, and then throw everything you had at the reserves all at once. But he also believed you had to do this all at once, and you had to keep pressing on until the enemy was broken. And we're going to see this going forward. His idea is, as soon as I've bombed them, okay, the, the main guys are out of the way. They're sending the reserves. Let's go. Let's fucking go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like, he doesn't actually take time to evaluate things. And that, I don't know, maybe causes problems. I don't know the story. I'll, I'll see how it goes, guys. <laughs> His second in command, General Sir Henry Rawlinson, had a much better idea of how to fight on the Western Front. His idea was called bite and hold, <laughs> which basically meant you just bit onto the pillow and tried to muffle your screams. <laughs> no! It basically meant you would take small territorial gains, hold them while you moved up your artillery and reserves, and then try and get another small gain. 
And by small, I mean like a hundred yards of territory at a time. Mr. fucking Richie Rich over here with the pillow to bite on. <laughs> All I've ever got is the dirty urinal handle in the truck stop bathroom. <laughs> that's why my teeth are so fucked up. It's uh, yeah, that's biting on that metal thing. Yeah. It's not the meth. It's not the meth. <laughs> you jump up and rush to the, the sink and you're like splashing water in your tongue. And the guy's like, oh, yeah. Been there. Trust me. Like, no, no. The handle. What? You sick fuck. What are you talking about? The handle of the urine. What? (laughs) Well, Douglas Haig and French commander Joseph Joffre were all about bold strokes, so they hated the general thought process behind Rawlinson's plans. And Rawlinson was a people pleaser, so he rarely worked hard to defend his ideas. Naturally, I'm only telling you this because Rawlinson was a moron and everything would work out perfectly for Haig and Jaffre. On December 6, 1915, Haig and Jaffre met at the French headquarters in Chantilly. They all had decided they launch a joint offensive against the Germans in 1916, with Russia also attacking from the east. Jaffre took it upon himself to decide the attack would take place on the River Somme in northeastern France. He picked the spot because it was where the right flank of the Brits and the left flank of the French army met, and he wanted to make sure the Brits were actually pulling their weight and not acting all scared and shit like they did at the Battle of the Marne. Unfortunately for Joffre, in February of 1916, while preparations for the attack at Somme were still being made, the Germans decided to blow the fortress city of Verdun straight to goddamn hell. Now, Joffre needed the British to attack at the Somme just to take the pressure off of the French at Verdun. And that meant that the Brits would be responsible for the majority of the battle with relatively limited French support. The date of attack was set for July 1st, 1916. Yeah, and on that point, little known fact, Joffre suggested the date of July 1st, at which point Douglas Haig countered with August 15th. Joffre shouted, The French army will cease to exist if we did nothing till then. Oh, oh, oh. It's my Count Dracula. <laughs> it's good. I like it. In France on vacation voice. <laughs> At which point, Douglas Haid backed down and said, Fine, we'll do July 1st, you big French titty baby. <laughs> I like how he's like August 15th. He's like July 1st. Like, okay. Okay, we'll do it. Well, it's fine. We don't need that extra mother and a half. It's fine. Go fine. <laughs> <laughs> Back home in England, massive recruiting drives were thrown together. Thousands upon thousands of young Englishmen flooded the recruiting offices, desperately seeking adventure. You had to be 19, and at least 5 foot 6 and 1 half inches tall, to join the army, so a shitload of 14-year-olds just lied about their age, and dudes wore high heel stilettos in order to join up. Luckies. I know, right? Wish I had an excuse to wear my stilettos. I, I can't even find ones that fit my feet. Well, size 16s, you know, man, like, they're just huge, and I'm, it makes you like seven and a half feet tall, just towering over everybody else, and mm-hmm. nobody wants to dance me at the club. Nobody. And it's not because they're like long feet. You have to get them just for the width, because you have diabetic necrotic feet <laughs> that can only fit into a shoe that wide. There's a ton of space at the toe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, it is interesting for our listeners that all these 14-year-olds could join up in the Army, because they're like, they're thinking about it, like, what if I was in the Army? He's like, well, 
slow down, guys. You still have three years before you get to, you know, 14. <laughs> let's just, let's just back it up a little. <laughs> but, you know, in three years, you could be in a great conflict. That's crazy, right? But you've got all that Fortnite experience, Minecraft and stuff. You could build a shelter and just wreck shop. Just fucking pwn these noobs. Kids still say pwn? Do they still say pwn and noobs? All my vernacular comes from the year 2001, so I, I, I don't know what the fuck they say anymore. I think it's just all emojis these days, Chris. <laughs> all emojis. I don't think it's English anymore. Yeets and your floss dances. Ugh. I don't like these kids. They only speak in meme. They do. They speak in doge. <laughs> well, one of the worst ideas the Brits had during this drive was the creation of PALS battalions, which allowed you to join and serve with your friends, your soccer team, your local clubs, or even just your entire fucking village. Ah, what could go wrong, right? You're all- <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Just a good time with your buds. Yeah, you know. It's like uh, Polly Shore, that movie in the army now. He wasn't going to join, but Andy Dick got to serve with him. So he's like, yeah, now I'm going to war. And everything worked out for Polly Shore, just like it's going to work out for all these British kids. I'm literally the only human that's ever seen that fucking movie. It's not good. No, it's not. It's fucking it not good. <laughs> the Brits were packing the Lee Enfield rifle, which was accurate up to 600 yards and could be fired 15 times a minute. They also had the Lewis light machine gun, which fired drums of 47 rounds up to 2,000 yards. And they had the Big Daddy, the Vickers machine gun, which fired 500 rounds per minute up to 4,500 yards. It's a lot. And like every major power at this time, the British would rely heavily on their artillery. The main gun they brought was the 18-pounder. It's pretty light. Like three, one guy could just carry it around the battlefield, just, you know. A little bit of, uh, what are these called? Things where you lift weights? What are exercises? Lift. Yes, exercises. Uh, could do some of those and, you know, get some moderate gains. No, stupids. You stupid idiots. 18 pounds was how much the shell weighed. Fucking, these morons. It's like, it's like mm-hmm. they don't know these things before they listen to a, a podcast designed to teach them things. <laughs> fucking idiots. Fucking idiots. Well, the 18-pounder had a relatively limited range of 6,500 yards. And eventually, as they moved forward in this battle, they'd bring along a 60-pounder, which could wreck shit that was over 10,000 yards away. Whoa. And that was... Over five and a half miles. You know, because not everybody measures everything in yards. I know. I measure things in feet, because that's what those papers say I have to measure them in. Like, you know, 5,000 feet from a yeah, certain residence <laughs> or school or something. Yeah, it was unimportant. You know, just different strokes for different folks. That's all I'm saying. Look, I was, I was only peeing in a beer bottle at a baseball game. Okay, it was a t-ball game, but still, that's, that's baseball. And yes, I was making eye contact with the pitcher. It's only because he doesn't do anything. It's t-ball. Why is he even fucking standing there? It's bullshit. <laughs> it's like, we don't even care about the rules. Rules mean nothing. God damn <laughs> Well, unfortunately, the British guns were nowhere near as accurate as the German artillery pieces. 
poor recoil control, defects in shell construction, and inability to correct for rain and wind meant that the guns would miss quite frequently, and there was no assurance that they'd actually smash apart the enemy trenches that they were targeting. Once again, I don't see the problem. It's, you know, it's fine. Everything's fine. We're going we're gonna to win this because we want it more. Hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. The English built a few railroads and began the long process of moving everything into position on their side of no man's land. Now, when the French had been defending the Somme, it had been a relatively quiet sector. Like, they had this, them and the Germans had this live and let live philosophy. Like, I don't fuck with you, you don't fuck with me, it's fine, we just got our trenches. They're holding their own territories. Yeah. Yes. But the English saw an opportunity to get some limited training in for their new recruits and began to harass the Germans with artillery and machine gun fire. Now, I know what you're thinking, listener. You're like, oh, those Germans, those light-hearted, fun-loving Germans are like, oh, you rascals, oh, you have your fun, it's fine. Uh, but no, 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 no. The Germans actually began to return their artillery fire and, you know, just occasionally snipe any fucking English guy who stuck his head outside of the trench. Yeah, you know. Fun for everyone. Yes, hello, this is Jerry. Oh, oh, hello, Tommy. How are you doing today, Tommy? Oh, no, I, I, I understand. It is just training. It's just training. <laughs> you have a good day, too, Tommy. I'll see to shin. Set up the machine gun nest. <laughs> It's basically how it went. Targets a man in the gimp suit who keeps talking to his made-up hand like it's a separate person. Finds him <laughs> and kill him. <laughs> Bring me back one of the googly eyes for trophy. <laughs> September Englishman stumbles onto a trench and there's like one googly eye mounted on the stall helm. He's like, what the fuck was this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I mentioned, anytime a Englishman would stick his head out of the trench, the German would shoot him. And speaking of the trenches, the German trench lines were just, they were immaculate. German engineering, man, you can't beat it. Like a fucking four seasons. You're right, there were three of them. Fine. Three seasons. <laughs> They were separated by thousands of yards, and they incorporated concrete bunkers, machine gun nests, tunnels that led to shelters 40 feet underground, and entire villages that had been converted to fortresses. They went to work. On the English side, they had literal trenches, with the occasional small hole dug out in the side where a soldier could sleep to avoid the rain. When I read this, it reminded me of being a kid, and we found, like, three holes in the alleyway like we had a we live in the country we had like grass alleyways or whatever and so like someone had dug out three holes in, behind their fence line I'm like this one's my room look at me this is my clubhouse and it's just literally a <laughs> hole in the ground it's it's six inches away from the grass line it's just some dirt like <laughs> look how cool i am this is my club yeah and that's what these english guys are doing like the germans are basically like putting elevator systems into their their bunkers you know they got like mm -hmm. a, a heated pool down on the bottom level so and Turkish on the other bass. side there's there's chris mine even came with a toy and just blowing up a used bum condom <laughs> yeah. 
funny shaped balloon. Aren't you jealous? <laughs> it's filled with some sort of surfactant material so it doesn't <laughs> stick to itself. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a scientific kid. That's all. It's a semen joke. Continue, please, Chris. <laughs> I like vanilla pudding. What is this? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. tapioca. I don't like tapioca. <laughs> it's rice pudding. There are chunks in it. Oh, no. God. Please move on. Yes. I'm cringing myself. <laughs> you know, we can check when people punch out. That was right when it happened. Right there. Like, nope. <laughs> Spotify is going to... Oh, right right at that minute mark. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Will we change anything? No. 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 <laughs> we don't learn from our mistakes. For everyone that punched out there, ten sick fucks are like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're fucking oh. Vincent Price tiny mustaches. <laughs> yeah. So much. <laughs> Henry Rawlinson came up with a plan to take the German front line, hold it. And then slowly move up to the second line. His, his, you know, standard bite and hold plan. Well, Douglas Haig called him a little bitch and called for a plan to march an entire army across a 20 mile front, capture the front line, and then the second line. And then, you know, those guys who captured those two German lines would probably be super tired. So he'd send in the reserves to take the third line. Easy peasy, right? Yeah. It's good he's thinking of that first wave. Yeah, it's nice of him, right? Like, you guys have fought really hard for this first, like, I don't know, probably like 20 minutes of this battle. It's it's not going to take long. Trust me. We we got this shit. We we figured this whole thing out. No problem. Stupid French. They've been doing this for like two years, fucking idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, Haig would take advantage of his artillery by bombarding the German front line before the attack, and then as the soldiers were taking the first trench the British guns would shell the second and third lines. Now, you might be asking, was it a problem for him that his guns couldn't really shoot that far? Or the German second and third lines were over a hill and hard to hit? Or that it meant his guns couldn't shell any other positions as his men moved across no man's land towards the first trench? Those problems for you? Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. We got this. Full hearts, clear eyes. In his eyes, the initial bombardment would wipe out all of the barbed wire and artillery around the first trench and would decimate the Germans there, so they wouldn't be able to fight back. Rawlinson had his chance to argue his point, but instead he wussed out and agreed to Haig's plan. He's like, he's, in his mind, he's like, you know, this, this is probably going to work if we do it my way. We just Let's just take that first line, that first day, and we'll keep moving back. Let's just do that. And Haig's like, well, let's take it all. And he's like, Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay, Daddy. All right, okay. It'll probably work. I tried my hardest. (laughs) Will you be spending the night with my wife this evening, or am I allowed to? (laughs) You'll be there. Can I at least make you dinner? (laughs) I mean, the both of you. The both of you. I know how to cut up hot dogs and put it in macaroni and cheese. It's delicious. (laughs) Can I at least watch? (laughs) Well, maybe one of the craziest parts of Haig and Rawlinson's plan I'm going to throw Rawlinson in here as well Was that the advance was to be taken at a leisurely pace This is really dumb This is the dumbest fucking thing Now, you might be picturing You've seen some World War I movies or any war movie Like when 
they have to get across a long distance. They're spreading. There's artillery exploding everywhere, just hoping to get across, right? Just diving into the enemy trench as fast as you fucking can, right? Uh, but, uh, these British troops, they're super inexperienced. They've never really been trained. This is going to be their first battle for most of them. Um, so they didn't trust them. They said, nah, you guys aren't going to make it. Um, you, you can't execute these complex maneuvers. You know, you can't move quickly. So when the time to attack came, the British would climb out of their trenches, line up, and walk toward the enemy. And little known fact, one British captain, in order to keep the proper pace, planned on bringing a soccer ball out onto no man's land and having his men dribble it towards the Germans as they moved. And he would actually go forward with this idea. <laughs> and it might shock you to learn. He was killed almost instantly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want the truth, Greg. If you're in the German trench, uh, picture yourself as a German. I'm shooting him first, yes. Oh, I was going to say, you're trying to shoot the ball first. Like, just to kill their fun. Like, fuck you guys. Oh, <laughs> Shame. no. It's no. <laughs> a life and death situation, Chris. You know? Yeah. That's all I had. I don't know. And, and hopefully you kill him, and the artillery knocks the ball to your trench. Like, yes. Yes, it's mine now. <laughs> Idiots. Oh, yes. Now we have the soccer ball. <laughs> On June 24th, the British launched a massive artillery attack on the German front lines that would last up until the moment that everybody went over the top. In this week, over 1.5 million shells would be fired with the hopes of smashing the German resistance. To some degree, and a slight degree, the shells actually did cut the German barbed wire, although it wasn't effective across the entire line. And since the Germans had their fancy underground four seasons, I'm sorry, three seasons bunkers, the shells did little in the way of inflicting casualties on the German side. On June 30th, the British soldiers prepared for the next day's offensive. They wrote letters home, they sang songs about dying in war, and they loaded up the over 60 pounds of equipment that each of them had carried and moved into the front-line trench. That night, General Sir Douglas Haig wrote, quote, With God's help, I feel hopeful for tomorrow. The men are in splendid spirits. Several have said that they have never before been so instructed and informed of the nature of the operation before them. The wire has never been so well cut, nor the artillery preparation so thorough. I have seen personally all the corps commanders, and one and all are full of confidence. End quote. That's just little foreboding stuff. Just, the, you know, everything's going to go great tomorrow, guys. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up. Which I put that in there, and I was like, yeah, look at this guy, he's saying stupid shit, because it's not going to go good. It's it's not going to, you guys, it's not going to go. But then I started thinking, what else was it going to say? It's like, I don't know, maybe, you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just doing his job. He has coach speak, you know? It's like, hey, I feel really confident in my team. They get blown up by 40 points. It's like, well, we, you know, we failed to execute on a few plays, you know? It's no big deal. <laughs> well, I think he, I think he believed it. I, I do think he believed it. He's I, the guy putting the entire thing into motion. Yeah. This is his plan. Yeah, and like we said, Rawlinson was like, hey, why don't we take a little bit? And Haig's like, no, we're taking the whole fucking thing. We're going to do all this in one day. We can do it. Right. So with all those lives on the line, yeah. he had to have full confidence in his own plan. Right. It was misplaced. He was wrong. But, you know, 
I don't think this is necessarily coach speak. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. Okay, I, I reverse my opinion because yeah, he's I, he does have faith in his own plan, and it wasn't good that he had faith in his own plan. But we'll get to that. We'll we'll tell that story here in a minute. But yeah, I completely agree with you, and I reverse everything I've just said. You win again, you handsome son of a bitch. <laughs> Guy in the bar comes up to you. Hey, uh, how do you know that woman? Oh, uh, she's my wife. I'm going to buy her a drink. Well, sir, I must inform you I am married to her. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna buy her a drink. I'm going to hit on her. Okay. <laughs> You've won me over. Son I'll, of a bitch. I'll keep the car warm for <laughs> when y'all are ready to leave. Good luck, sir. You want me to put some songs on the jukebox, like some romantic songs or something? As long as I get to watch. But oh. if I can't, that's fine. I mean, the yeah. idea of it also turns me on. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Shut your mouth. <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> Using the cover of darkness, the British removed the barbed wire from in front of their own trenches and placed ladders along the trench line. The next morning, they ate breakfast and waited nervously. Most kept an attitude of confidence and bravery, although there were some that defected or wussed out, such as one soldier who shot himself in the hand to avoid fighting. Smart man. Yeah, because that hand was like, I want to suck off the lieutenant. Like, no, shut up. He won't shut up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's like, you're giving away our position. They can hear you. I'm going to put you down, boy. (laughs) He just shoots his own head. (laughs) It changes to the other hand. (laughs) Why'd you go do a thing like that? (laughs) No. Now we can't fight. We got to go back to the hospital and see all those unhealthy men. At 6.30, the British artillery roared to life once again, but this time the Germans fired back with the same level of intensity. Somehow, I don't know how, they had figured out that this was the day the attack would happen. Like, you just look across no man's land, and all of a sudden the barbed wire's gone, there's a bunch of ladders, like, sticking up from the trenches, like, hmm, what are they up to? Hmm, very, very suspicious. Like, come on, guys. Like, everybody knew this was his day. Among other reasons, yes. <laughs> well, then, as English Private Albert Andrews said, quote, The orders came down. Half an hour to go. Quarter of an hour to go. Ten minutes to go. Three minutes to go. I lit a cigarette, and up the ladder I went. It was 7.30 a.m. on July 1st, 1916. The whistles had blown, and the Battle of the Somme had begun. And that feels like a good place to take a break. The battle's, it's, it's about to begin. Everybody's getting excited. They've been listening to all this build-up. They're like, what is going to happen yeah. in this battle? I'm sure it's going to go great for the British. Greg's going to tell you all about it after we get his drink, you know, maybe? I don't yeah. know. I feel like we lended a proper amount of levity to the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. That's what we do. It's a somber moment. Mm-hmm. Hey, somber. I see. No? You were, okay. And his, no, I wasn't trying to do that. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. My brain only has room for so many things. So while that might seem like I said something smart, it's yeah. because it was one of like the 36 syllables that I had just primed and ready to go <laughs> based on what we're talking about. <laughs> and like, I need my German accent, my English accent. I'm like, 
three other things. I'm ready. I've got this fucking shit nailed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, let's uh, let's take a break and let's hit it hard from the yard when we come back. Oh, I like it. All right. All right, we are back from break. Enjoyed it, had a good time. I basically sat here by myself, just waiting for Greg to show back up on the Zoom meeting, so I could like, oh hey, I have a friend again. All right, here he is. Okay, I'm not desperately alone. He has to be here by obligation. Yes, it's the best kind of friendship. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sure your break was much better, and you interacted with your quote unquote wife unquote and you know socialized and felt good about your your life outside the podcast but whatever well she wanted me to adjust the pool heater to be on spa mode so that her and her friend could have a good time wow that's nice nice of you strictly friend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. male you know he's he's pretty good looking <laughs> he, she swears he's gay uh-huh I, I don't know i think he's lying to her yeah, because you made so many passes at him, and he's like, no, no. No, I just, you know, feel like he's always looking at her, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I think this I think this dude's lying to her, you know? Mm. I mean, she's telling me the truth, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't ever trust in people but, who will lie to her. What's... But he's lying. No. <laughs> well, Greg, unfortunately for our listener, we've already ruined this fucking bit, but go ahead and play the theme song anyway, Wolf Dick. Second half salsa. Second half salsa. Second half salsa. Yeah, uh, some drunk asshole named Chris popped his as soon as we started recording. And some other guy who's involved with the podcast, you know, there are several. There are several people involved in this. It's a it's a complex work. Um, some other guy doesn't even have a seltzer this week. Is that right? Okay. Full <laughs> disclosure. Wife and her friend fucking drank them. I have four left. They're gone. <laughs> she was expecting us to do the podcast tomorrow like mm. we had planned to. Yeah. But we're like, no, no, we need to get this done for the listeners sooner. Right. Even though it comes out at the exact same time. And uh, so I'm I'm seltzerless. That's okay. That's okay. Our listener has a seltzer and they're thinking of you right now as they're drinking their seltzer. You and your hot ass wife. They're like, oh. Oh, I could be her friend, too. Just a friend. Only if it's just friends. Just a friend. Yes. But, you know, you have to subscribe to the Patreon for that kind of access. Just saying. Looking out the window, I see they're practicing their hip-hop dance moves. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't know she was into hip-hop dancing. (laughs) I don't see nothing wrong with a little bump and grind. No, looks good, man. That's how the kids are doing it today. Anyway. You ready to get back into the story? I guess. I guess. I want to hear more about your wife, but let's go ahead and tell everyone the rest of the story. Okay, I need the distraction anyway. Well, the battle had begun. Like we said earlier, the Psalm was a frontline attack that stretched over 20 miles. So we'll start by telling you about the southern end of the attack, where everything went exactly as planned. And again, this was the one that uh, was run by the French. The artillery ripped apart the German barbed wire. 
The fortress village of Montauban was blasted to rubble, and the German trenches were nothing more than shell holes. The combined British and French forces were able to take and hold the German first trench line. Now, of course, the plan also called for them to push on and take the German second and third lines. But hey, you can only do so much in one day, so let's call that one a success. Yes, we did it. And the fact that I'm saying taking a single trench line while suffering over 6,000 casualties is a success should tell you how the rest of the day went for the British. In the north, on the attack's far left flank, the British 46th Division were to launch something of a diversionary attack that would hopefully secure the flank and cut off any counterattacks that the sure-to-be-successful main thrust might be subjected to. The German trenches in this area around the village of Gamakor were the most heavily fortified in the entire region. And there was a massive artillery battery just behind the line that could shell the Brits with absolutely zero recourse. And the Germans had been able to repair their barbed wire overnight. I feel pretty good. I feel like, walk right in and take this thing, man. Like, wait, you can't just fix barbed wire overnight. You can't just, like, put new wire with sharp pokey things out, like, in a couple hours. That's bullshit. Like, that's not fair. (laughs) Well, the only protection the slow-moving Brits had from machine gun fire and artillery was a smokescreen fired from their own artillery, but this mostly resulted in the Brits getting lost and separated. The attack was a complete failure. (gasps) I know. Surprise, surprise. The only units that made it to the German lines were quickly isolated and killed one by one. You think once they made it there, they were shouting like home base? Like, no, 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 I'm safe! I'm safe, 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 Bullshit! Bullshit, man! This is mine now! Fuck you! <laughs> Next to the 46th was the 56th Division, who fared only slightly better. The artillery had cut the barbed wire in front of them, but once again, they had no covering artillery fire of their own. And so, as they advanced, they were blasted to bits by German shells and machine guns. They were able to take and briefly hold the German front line, but they were completely cut off from reinforcements and resupply by artillery. Throughout the day, the Germans moved through their maze-like trench lines and forced the English to retreat. It was pure fucking chaos, as described by English private Arthur Schumann. I hardly waited for the order, but it came. Everyone for himself. I did not wait to argue. Over the top, I went like grease lightning, Surviving a hail of bullets, I immediately fell flat. Then trying to dodge, I imagined I was part of the earth. I wriggled along on my belly. Dead, dying, and wounded. Feigning death? Who knows? The ground was covered with them. I sped from shell hole to shell hole. Never had I run faster. It was snipers, machine guns, and shrapnel all the way. When I finally scrambled into our front-line trench... I was greeted by our adjunct Captain Wallace and Regimental Sergeant Major McVeigh, who both solemnly shook my hand. I was told that only 20 had returned so far. Man, that's that's tough. Like, just picturing yourself in that battle, like you, hey, let's walk slowly across the line. And what you find when you read the book uh, is that the guys who are gravely wounded are the ones who are still around to tell the tale. The rest are fucking dead. It's just constant chaos and death and you make it all the way across you made your objective and then someone says everybody for himself and you sprint back across that whole 
no man's land, artillery, machine gun fire, snipers trying to get back to your home base, as it were, get back to your home trench so you can live and, you know what, go fight another fucking day. Just hell on earth. And I think if it was me, like if I was a lieutenant or a captain, like as soon as they blew the whistle, I'd just shout every man for himself. Like, hey, you're all your fucking own. And I'd stay in the trench and just hide. <laughs> that sounds about right. I'm not a brave man, Greg. That's why I do a podcast and judge other brave men for their failures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, the 46th and 56th Divisions would suffer 6,000 casualties. Just south of them were the 4th, 29th, and 31st Divisions, and for the most part, they wouldn't even make it to the German front lines before being forced to break and run. The 31st Division was made up of several PALS battalions, and, as a result of their failed attack, entire groups of friends, teammates, and neighbors would get wiped out on the same morning. Yep, and little known fact, as a prelude to the 29th Division's attack, a 40,000-pound bomb was detonated in a mine that had been dug under the German front line. And this killed hundreds of Germans and left a crater that was 60 feet deep. Unfortunately, the bomb was set off 10 minutes before the English went over the top, and so the Germans were they were able to occupy it with their machine guns and all that shit before the English could get there. Right, so they were able to use it as a defensive position instead of allowing the English to use it as an offensive position. Right. The main thrust of the attack was centered around two geographical features, the Thiepfall Spur and the Pozier Ridge. These were the big daddies. If they were captured, the British could move up their artillery and would have a clear shot at all of the German defenses in the area. This attack was somewhat successful at first because the Scottish light infantry had crept across no man's land at night and were able to attack it quickly. But once again, they were isolated from reinforcement and had to go sprinting back to the English trenches with their oh-so-beautiful kilts being blown to bits by machine guns and snipers. Artillery shell explodes, the kilt flies up, you see... Beautiful shaved lower half of a Scotsman. Fiery bush on a few of them, you know, because they didn't take the time to shave before they went to battle. But you're like, those men are goddamn heroes. Look at them. Just men fighting in dresses. They don't care. They're going to win this war. They have that kind of audacity, that kind of security in their manhood. They're able to go out there and just let it hang free. It's a man's man. That's a man's man. Yep. Me being a man, that's my kind of man. (laughs) If I went out there, I'd be wearing a fucking diaper. Like, full-on adult diaper. Just like, oh, I gotta collect a lot of stuff. But these guys, they're wearing a free-flowing dress, beautiful sequins, battle gowns, you know? As they cross no man's land and the artillery's blowing up and you see all that stuff and you're like, that's some confidence right there. Those guys, those guys know what war is all about. I'd be wearing a sharp, form-fitting sequin dress, some stilettos, and an Armagnac-colored <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> and maybe people would revere me the same way years later. I would. I would. That's a man right there. That's mm-hmm. what they'd say. That's a man. Mm. Big fake tits swinging from my testicles from the last episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those don't produce milk, but you know what? They're beautiful all the same. We're all God's children in the dark. 
Oh, and every every day we stray further from God's light. <laughs> well, this was the story for most of the entire attack. The artillery barrage hadn't done much to break up the German defenses, and then once it stopped, the Germans could devastate the English as they advanced. Except in the south, every yard gained by the English was soon lost as soon as the Germans counterattacked. And to make things worse, when one wave of attackers would fail, the English officers would just send another wave, slowly walking to their death. On July 1st, 1916, the English would suffer 57,470 casualties, over 19,000 of which were killed. It was, and remains, the bloodiest day in English military history. I don't know why my brain does this, but when I see numbers like that, like I think, okay, you're at a uh, a fully sold out basketball game and there's 18,000 people. And then now they're all fucking dead just right away in a day. It's crazy to me a little bit that we revere days like uh, Pearl Harbor or 9-11 where like 3,000 people died and that's a tragedy, but... Like, we don't even blink twice when it comes to war, and 19,000 people just drop dead in one day. Like, it's like, okay, all right, whatever, let's move on with our lives. Like, that's not a, there's not a big push in England to remember the psalm in 2021, right? I don't know, I'm not there. Oh, okay, well, thank you, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But slight counterpoint, I get what you're saying. For example, the people that died, a lot of them in Pearl Harbor, especially 9-11, Civilians. Yeah. Not supposed to die. Right. All life is equal except when there's a war on and those lives aren't... Ah, okay, those lives aren't as equal. Well, there's definitely more of a accepted and calculated risk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking as a former member of the military, I mean, it just kind of comes with the territory, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Speaking as a former Call of Duty player... <laughs> All men go out, only some men come back. <laughs> I mean, after you've already died and, and re-rezzed many, many times. Many, Thank many you. Times. That, now, you can, now I know what you mean. You've related it to terms I understand. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. I, I, fit, I got eliminated in my game of Fortnite and I started a whole new game of Fortnite. Now I understand the weight of these deaths and how it's just, <laughs> you know, it's different, you know? But hey. They had taken ground at the south end of the line, which had been viewed as strategically unimportant prior to the battle. But you gotta start somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. While Haig and Rawlinson began planning their next offensives, the individual divisions attempted and failed their own attacks. For instance, the 38th Welsh Division decided to take a forest that was heavily defended. Before this attack, Lieutenant Colonel Ronald Carden tied a colorful handkerchief to his walking stick and said, Make your peace with God. You are going to take that position, and some of us won't come back. But we are going to take it. That will show you where I am. He was killed, and the attack failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. Like, let those bright things I'm waving over my head. Follow me, boys. Nothing bad will ever happen to old Lieutenant Colonel Ronald Carden today. Like, oh, shit. And dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, little known fact... Uh, Greg mentioned these guys launched their own attacks, and between July 2nd and July 13th, almost 50 of these freelance attacks would be launched, and the British would suffer a further 25,000 casualties 
while gaining absolutely jack and shit. On July 14th, Henry Rawlinson got his shit together and came up with a solid plan. The area of attack would be cut down to one-third of what it was on July 1st. Artillery would focus on one small area and would provide support to the attack the entire time. He was even able to convince Douglas Haig, the commander of the entire operation, that it should be a surprise nighttime attack. Both General Joffre of the French and General Haig of the British hated this idea, and the French refused to participate, but Haig gave Rawlinson the green light. The attack was launched at 3.20 a.m., and it was a massive success. The Brits took the German second line of trenches and inflicted heavy amounts of casualties. They had finally learned that you had to use heavily concentrated and constant artillery, and you had to move quickly in order to win a modern, industrialized battle. And then for some fucking reason, they forgot all that shit and went back to slow-moving attacks that were poorly supported. <laughs> what? What the fuck are they? This was the frustrating part of the story because, and, and it's it's hard because obviously we have hindsight. And Peter Hart setting it up, he's like, "Hey, Rawlinson had the right idea. You got to do the bite and hold, small points, and then move on to the next point. Move everything up slowly." And so, like, you're like, "Hey, we did it. We took some territory. Now we can take the rest of it without really." Doing the same shit we just did to take this part, right? We, we've got this part. We, it's fine. We've, we've taken the second line. It's a piece of cake from here on out. Shut up, Rawlinson. Shut your fucking mouth. You just do what you're told. We're going to take the rest of this really fast. Easy peasy. This is how the story gets, like, samey to me. Is like they keep trying the same thing. Yeah. And fucking it up every time. And, and like, finally, they get a glimmer of fucking hope. It's like, oh, we did this differently. And, huh, what do you know? It was successful. All right, let's keep pounding away at the other way. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Fuck yeah, guys. Mm, Fuck yeah. Spring break. Woo! It's like you've watched an episode of Wile E. Coyote, and he finally catches the Roadrunner, eats him, fucks his corpse. He's like, yeah! Yeah! I did it! I did it! And then all of a sudden, next episode, he's doing the same Acme shit and running into the painted tunnels and blowing himself on rocket roller skates. And like, just off the cliff. Like, I'm an idiot. Yeah, you just caught him. What? What happened? You were yeah. fucking his corpse, and now now you're getting pounded in the ass by an anvil. Oh, oh my God. It's an excellent analogy. I love Thank it. you. Thank you. <laughs> well, on July 23rd, the British launched another night attack, but it was so widely spread along the line that it couldn't be properly supported and instead turned into a series of independent battles. It was such a disorganized mess that the French refused to join in and said they'd show up on the 24th if it went well. And, uh, spoiler, <laughs> it didn't. Yeah, this thing, this bothered me. And uh, like we just said, we, we just talked about it a little bit, but they have seven different attacks. And if one of them succeeds, it doesn't matter. All seven have to succeed, right? So it doesn't really matter. Like, oh, we've we've separated these things. They're individual battles, basically. If these guys gain this trench, it doesn't matter. There's nobody to support them. They can't come in and, and secure that flank, and it's just so fucking right, stupid. Right, get quickly enveloped, which yeah. is fucking stupid as hell. Yeah. Well, it was July 1st, first day of the battle, all over again, with minimal gains instantly being wiped out by German artillery and counterattacks, 
with the only exception being the badass Australian Anzac soldiers capturing and holding Poser Ridge while suffering 5,000 casualties. Shout out to the second leading listening country, Australia. You guys are awesome. Are they? Yeah. They are awesome, Greg. Well, no, I know they're awesome. I didn't realize they were the second highest listener count. Yeah. That's what we got. We got to kind of suck their dick and talk about how awesome they are at war. So they keep coming back. Suck that Aussie dick, baby. Yeah. Mm. Just got to do it upside down. Well, I mean, yeah. It's like 69 for both of us. (laughs) Except they're not engaged at all. It's just me down there doing a handstand. Oh, all right. (laughs) Can I get some reciprocation? Like, ah, fuck off, mate. (laughs) Just chug a Fosters. They don't drink Fosters, Chris. God. (laughs) It's Australian for beer. God. Come on, man. Learn something about their culture. I would love for you to go down there and order that. (laughs) And probably give you a fucking right cunt beating. (laughs) I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. I I don't know either. But I know know Fosters is bullshit. (laughs) I wonder if Australia, they have like, natural light, American for beer. Like, oh, let me give me a natty light. Like, oh, you fucking sick fuck. What's wrong with you? For most of August and early September, things remained stagnant at the Somme. It was standard Western Front stuff with artillery barrages, futile advances, and deadly counterattacks. The papers in London, and everyone's favorite gas bag, Winston Churchill, began to wonder just what the fuck was going on. They wanted results. Luckily, General Haig had a secret weapon that no army had ever seen before. The tank. Yeah. I kind of feel a metal moment coming on, guys. I don't know. It's it's coming. I feel a metal moment coming, though. It's a fucking tank. Yeah. The British Mark I tank came in my mom. (laughs) And that's how I was born. She said the guy's name was Mark. I just, I'm assuming it was a tank from World War I. Mark I. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't my stepdad. It was Mark Three. <laughs> the British Mark One tank came in both a male and female model. Me too. <laughs> Just depends how the night goes. Who knows? The male version had two six-pound guns mounted to the side and carried another three machine guns. The female was all machine guns, packing five in total. Each tank was manned by a crew of eight, who sat in a cramped compartment that was filled with fumes from the engine, so much so that the crew would have to take frequent breaks so they didn't suffocate. And these badass tools of destruction moved at a blazing... Are you ready for this? Three and a half miles per hour and oh broke down God. all the fucking time. And that is your hundred proof history metal moment of the week. Hit it. Oh, okay. Well, we tried. It's about accurate, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of metal, but. Yeah, no, really. It's okay. <sighs> I had a long way to go. 
<laughs> Long way to go. Well, these tanks were put into action on September 15th, but since they were brand new, Henry Rawlinson really had no clue how they should actually be used. And that makes sense. Right. It, it, it seems yeah. like dummy shit to us. It's like, how do you fuck up how to use a tank? But these were literally the first tanks that ever existed. You know, yeah. unless you count, like, you know, different sorts of siege weapons that were used back in the day. Like, these are the first mechanized infantry. Yeah. And, yeah, you have no clue what to do with them. You're like, okay, well, do we send them out first? Do we send them mm-hmm. behind every, with every, I don't know. Let's just figure it out as we go. So, I don't really think they're dummies on this count. No. This is no. one of those just fog of war. You don't know how it's done before you try it, and then you learn from it. Right. Well, during this first attack that the tanks were utilized, the artillery would clear the way for the tanks and infantry as they moved together. The tanks showed some promise. One, a male tank named the Krindemint, helped capture a German-controlled village. But for the most part, the men were caught out in the open, and the slow-moving tanks weren't much help, because they struggled to move around the crater-filled moonscape that was the battlefield. Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories from this whole thing is there's a bunch of soldiers trying to take the Metz Wood, which is a forest on the northeastern area of the Somme. And, like, they're like, yeah, here we go. We're going to fuck shit up. Here comes some tanks. And, like, the first tank drives into a shell hole and gets stuck. And the second tank drives in and tries to pull the second that first tank out, and he gets stuck. Like, oh, f- oh fuck. Like, all their bravado <laughs> just went away. Like, yeah, we're going <laughs> to kick your ass. Look at this. Look what we got, motherfuckers. Here they go. Uh, oh, okay. Please be nice to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I, no, you, you can take her to bed. I, I'll, I'll continue making you guys dinner. <laughs> yeah. Like you just came up by, behind your wife's boyfriend on the couch and just tried to punch him in the ear to knock him out, and it didn't work at all. <laughs> yeah. At all. You brought another guy with you. You're like, this guy's going to fuck you up, and he starts fucking your wife, too. You're like, oh, that, that did not. Jesus, that was, that's graphic. Not, not how I planned this. It was implied <laughs> sex before you said that guy's fucking Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (sighs) This is a PG-13 show, Chris. One of our listeners' moms, she's walking in the room and goes, what are you listening to? She starts slapping him on the head. Get out of here! Get out of (laughs) here! Still, this attack was a moderate success. Despite suffering another 29,000 casualties, the British were able to take several key positions and drive the Germans back to their third line. Yes. If you remember... Originally is the back line, the furthest line. So we plan on doing on July 1st, and it's only September 23rd. We did it, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. But you got to keep in mind here, the Germans were industrious fucks. Their third line was now a front line with two more lines of bunkers and trenches behind it. They had learned to move their machine guns out of the trenches and began placing them in shell holes, which created massive fields of fire. They too had suffered severe casualties, and were now fighting at the Somme, at Verdun, and struggling against the Russians in the east, but they kept on keeping on. Yeah, and here's a point I wanted to make earlier, and I I forgot to, but um, it's easy. Our main source is an English source. There's not a lot of German sources for this battle, so it's easy to kind of like, in your mind, uh, dehumanize the Germans and paint them as the bad guys here. Uh, in World War One, there really weren't bad guys. This isn't World War Two where you have Nazis exterminating people, right? You have definitely just guys, yeah. 
it's just territorial war like we have throughout all of human history. So I want you guys to remember, these guys, the Germans are fighting just as bravely and just as hard as the English, you know, but because we have just the English source, it seems like we're, we're focusing on what the Entente forces can and cannot do in this battle. But the Germans are putting up a hell of a fight and they're fighting on two different or three different fronts at this point. And it's just, it's pretty amazing on its own right. Okay. So that, that kind of brings up two different points that I have. Mm -hmm. Number one, these Germans are fighting for territory that is theirs. They believe this is their territory. So they're fighting essentially for their homeland and they don't want to give an inch. But when they do, they typically retreat to more advantageous positions rather than it because this is largely useless land. Yeah. It's not useless, but it's it's meaningless, I I should say. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to back up and retreat and really position themselves even if it's at a higher position because the French are like, "Oh no, this is originally our land." Right. Or Belgian land or whatever to where they're fighting for every fucking inch and the Germans can easily kind of retreat into advantageous positions rather than get stuck in just all right, I'm going to go just 100 yards back and we'll we'll fight there. Yeah. The other thing, there's not a lot of those German authors about this subject because, as you know, uh, basically every war record from Germany that ever existed was burned in World War II. Yeah. So all the casualty numbers we have on the Entente side, those are correct. The German side, it's just a guess. It's an estimate, yeah. That shit was... Burn like a motherfucker. Yeah, and and it's easy for us as Americans to forget how much history there is on this land. And, you know, America's existed for we're almost at 250 years, almost. Um, you're talking about thousands of years of war over the same territory. And so when you say, like, the Germans think this should be theirs, they had it 800 years ago, and they lost it 600 years ago, and they got it 400 years ago, and then it's back and forth throughout human history. You know, so they have a deep, rich history that they're fighting over throughout this whole war. You know, and we're like, oh, well, in our, our modern brains, like, well, that's France. So the Germans should get the fuck out because that's France. You know, they're the bad guys. They're trying to take France away from France. But, you know, a mm-hmm. hundred years before that, that was Germany or a Germanic state, at least part of Prussia or whatever. You know, so that's uh, that's another thing to keep the in mind. Many, many Germanic states. Yeah. Yeah. Just another thing to keep in mind when you're you're hearing these stories is there's a deep, rich history behind this. This is centuries of warfare coming out all at once. By late September, the British had actually began to figure things out. General Haig listened to General Rawlinson and began to employ bite-and-hold tactics, which allowed the British to gain positions all around the Somme. Rawlinson realized that the tanks were support weapons, not something to lead the charge, and began to deploy them tactically behind advancing infantry to help knock out fortified positions. And perhaps the most important lesson Rawlinson and Haig had learned was the importance of continuous artillery fire. No longer did they just fire off a barrage and then send their soldiers to die. They had fully developed what became known as the Creeping Barrage, in which the guns shelled the area 50 to 100 yards ahead of the soldiers as they moved forward, providing cover and allowing the British infantry to gain a trench before the Germans could regroup. Yep, everything was looking up. 
And then the weather went to absolute shit. October was filled with rains, which turned the battlefield into a muddy pit in which men literally drowned in mud. These conditions also made it nearly impossible to move the artillery and fire it accurately, because with each shot, the gun would shift wildly out of place. And things got even worse when it began to snow in early November. You know, when you say that stuff, that just gets me excited to talk about the Battle of Third Ypres in Passchendaele, just the fucking hell that was with the mud and, you know, men drowning in mud just gets me excited, gets the nipples hard, gets me going. That's why I do this. That's why I do the history podcast. Like, yes, suffer. Suffer oh, more than me. suffering. <laughs> yes. Oh. oh, I'm about to get fired. My wife's going to leave me. My kid doesn't respect me, but you guys are drowning in mud, you fucking idiots. Yes. I am uh, the alpha male. Podcast over. See you next week. <laughs> Just in the middle of a point. <laughs> and so, the Battle of the Somme came to a somewhat anticlimactic end. In the four-month battle, the British and French had suffered over 600,000 casualties. The Germans had suffered somewhere between 450,000 and 600,000 of their own. But the battle had taught the British how to fight a modern, industrialized war, and had turned a tiny, insignificant army into a formidable fighting force. In 1917, there would be more battles and more lessons learned. But to learn about that, you're going to have to come back another day. End of story. Woo! We did it. We told the Battle of the Somme almost completely, Greg. But there is a little bit more. Oh? Yeah, there's just some... There, I feel like there's there's these things nagging me. There's things we haven't told them. Like, maybe, mm. I don't know, three, probably four things that we haven't told oh. them that maybe we can tell them really quickly. It don't quite the, fit into yeah, the, main the body of the, the story, narrative, but it's like, yeah. you know, this is something I feel like they might want to know. Yeah, so let's just do it really quickly. Let's do it in this new segment I've come up with called Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. In 2016, it was discovered that two British defectors had revealed the details of the July 1st attack to the Germans. This would have been a bigger deal had the Brits themselves not made it incredibly obvious when and where they were going to attack. Fast Fact Number 2 On the opening day of battle, July 1st, 584 of the 720 soldiers of the Accrington Pals Battalion were wounded or killed. The Grimsby chums lost 550 of their 600 total man pals battalion. Immediately after the Battle of the Somme, the British realized just how stupid this idea was. You know, having all your buds in a, a force right. with you. <laughs> and they separated the remaining battalions. Fast fact number three. A British documentary crew would film throughout the early days of the battle and would release their film, which was mostly propaganda, in August of 1916. Despite showing the brutality of war, such as scenes of corpses being tossed into mass graves, the film was a blockbuster and remains one of the most watched films in British history. What's the name of the film for the morbidly curious, Chris? Battle of the Somme. 
Fast fact number four. Several notable people would serve at the Somme, and they weren't immune to the massive casualty rates. For instance, British Prime Minister Herbert Asquith's son, Raymond, was shot and killed in the action of September 15th. Also wounded in the battle was a young idealist who would go on to change the world. His name, you might ask? Adolf Hitler. Craig's hero. All right, here we go. All right, thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. I think we told it well. We're going to come back to World War I very soon. Next week, we're going into a little American history, a little assassination talk. In the meantime, you can check us out at 100ProofHistory on most social media. We like to stay active on Instagram mainly. And you can also find us at 100ProofHistory.com. And there you can find you know old episodes. You can also find access to our Patreon which gives you, for just $3 a month, early access to new episodes and like a hundred-something old episodes that no one else can listen to. And so, that is that. That's the business. For myself, our esteemed producer, Wolf Dick, who is still very bitter that Greg revealed that about him. And for all the rest, Dan and Hambone, I am your co-host, Chris, main host, Greg, what else? Dubba 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 you Goodbye. Goodbye. Daddy Trucker made me suck it. <laughs> That's too nasty. I'm not putting that up. Okay. I don't pee anyway. You don't you're not my boss. I'm a sex machine ready to reload. Gonna whoa, 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 explode. I'm burning through the sky, yeah. I don't wanna stop it all. Yeah, I'm a rocket ship, I'm a winner, Mars. Quick's taking forever. Take your fucking time. We're just doing a show, yeah, Greg. Hurry up, hurry the fuck up. What are you doing? Greg, hurry up! Greg, hurry up! I don't wanna stop at all! <laughs> anyway. Did you do some coke while I was gone? What the <laughs> fuck? I come back and you're like, Ah, the brats were fucking die! Woo! <laughs> I'm just having a good time. Well, I'm glad I took a break then. And you got to hear me sing various versions of Don't Stop Me Now. All throughout that break. <sighs> Have a good time. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You're not wrong. You're just an asshole. <laughs> Calmer than you are. <laughs> Killed that bullet point. <clears throat> Did you? Yeah, like you fucking talked a bunch. I said everything in there. And it was really good. <sighs> and yeah. I'm killing it today. Fuck you. I'm, I'm killing it today. <laughs> Killed that fucking eight ball of cocaine <laughs> when I left the room. I'm just having a good time. The British soldiers prepared for the day's... God damn it, idiot, Christ, cock-sucking bitch, piece of shit. Don't shout Whoa. racial slur. <laughs> and the fact that I'm saying taking a single trench line while suffering over 6,000 casualties is a success... 
should tell you how the rest of the day went for the British. Uh, End of sentence. <laughs> you should say that after every sentence. <laughs> after every burp, I will. End of sentence. You'll never see me burp in the middle of a fucking sentence. Both General Joffre of the French and General Haig. Uh, middle of the sentence. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. <laughs>